Welcome to Salem Alliance Church. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This week's message is by Steve Fowler. If you were here in the month of January, you probably heard uh, from Doug Holcomb. He's our pastor, one of our pastors of Refugee Ministries. He and Anya lead the way there. And Doug shared a healing story of a, of a young refugee boy who the doctors told him he had to have surgery, and his spiritual community gathered around him and prayed over him and went back to the doctor, and the doctor said, um, I, I'm confused, you don't need surgery. Um, and it was this healing story, and, and after after Doug shared this story, we invited people who needed physical healing and uh, emotional healing, spiritual healing to stand, and uh, we prayed together. And I got great news. Mike was here that weekend, and Mike stood and was prayed for. Mike uh, had a herniated disc in his back, a lot of pain in his back, and uh, when he was prayed over, um, really sensed God healed him. In fact, I saw him the worship night, and he was telling me his story, and he's standing up, and he's bending over, he's touching his toes again and again and again. And he said, I've, I've been healed. And I said, dude, I, I haven't been able to do that my entire life. So... <laughs> That is a major miracle, and so uh, Mike, Mike sent this, uh, this note in this week. He said, I didn't immediately realize I was healed while Doug was praying. I sat back down, and after a few minutes, I noticed how comfortable these church pews are. This is the level of healing. The pews were comfortable, okay? He'd been to several services and never noticed it before, and that time he realized the chronic, constant pain that he had lived with was gone. Isn't that an awesome story of God's healing power? Praise God for that. So here's what we're going to do. If you need physical healing, if you need emotional healing or spiritual healing, or maybe there's a relationship that needs to be healed, I want to invite you to stand right now because I want to pray over you um, and ask God to show his mercy to you. And so th- th- thank you for standing. Um, physical, emotional, spiritual, relational healing, I just want to declare healing over you. And so thanks for being bold and standing up. Now let me pray for you. Lord, you see each and every one that's standing up in this room. And Lord, Lord, there are a lot of us who need your healing touch. Lord, maybe it's a a relationship that's broken. Maybe it's a wound between uh, the person standing and their parent or a sibling. And uh, Lord, maybe it's a workplace relationship or neighborhood relationship. Lord, um, we we know that with, with you, all things are possible. Nothing is impossible with you, God. So... Lord, we just declare healing over cancer. We declare healing, Lord, over any kind of mental health issues. We declare healing, Lord, over chronic pain, uh, healing over diabetes. We declare healing, Lord, all over this place. And we thank you, Jesus. Now would you stretch your hand in compassion and kindness and mercy and touch these dear ones who are standing before you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for standing, you guys. You can have a seat. And uh, we'd love to hear your healing stories as they take place and be able to share them together because it's, it's super encouraging uh, to see God at work among us. We're in week two of our series called Revolution. So if you got your Bibles, go to Acts chapter 4. Uh, if you didn't bring a Bible, there's one that looks just like the one I got here. Go to page 908 and you'll be in the exact right spot. Um, and on those pages, what you're going to find is you're going to find two columns. You're going to see big numbers and small numbers. That's kind of like an address. The big numbers are chapters. The small numbers are, are verses. And so when I say, you know, chapter 4, verse 16, you just kind of find the big 4, little 16. You're right where you need to be. Okay, so I'm going to read that text here in a little bit. Um, but first, let me just tell you that we live in a world that is, uh, that there's just a lot of controversy in our world. Okay? There are some very controversial people in our world. Um, you probably know the name Colin Kaepernick. 
an NFL quarterback who some years ago during the national anthem did not stand, remained seated, and that sparked all kinds of controversy. Athletes sometimes can spark controversy, but it's not just athletes. Consider the entertainer Madonna. Some years ago, when Madonna first came on the scene, her songs were controversial. The lyrics to her songs were controversial. The costumes she wore when she sang the songs were controversial. Entertainers can be controversial. Athletes can be controversial. Political figures can be controversial. I would say some names, but that would spark controversy, so I won't, right? But we, we know that there are controversial people in our world. And if you ever seen one of those satellite pictures of a hurricane that's sort of swirling, uh, controversy not only swirls around people, it swirls around topics. Topics like gun control. Topics like immigration. Topics like, like about education. I mean, there's, there's probably not a topic that you could raise that someone has some pretty strong opinions about, and, and emotions can, can kind of run high. And so it shouldn't be a surprise to us when it comes to the topic of faith and spirituality that controversy oftentimes follows those conversations as well. In this story, you're going to hear Peter say something that it's, it's, it's this revolutionary message that's controversial. You're going to hear him say something that even when it's said today, it sparks controversy. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. We'll put it on the screen here behind me. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. The exclusive claims of Christ will often spark a reaction and create controversy. The feminist activist, Rosemary Radford Ruther, sort of just kind of jumps on this. She writes, the idea that Christianity, or even the biblical face, have a monopoly over religious truth is an outrageous and absurd religious chauvinism. Okay, pretty strong opinion. Alan Bloom takes it kind of to a different level. He says, the claim that Jesus is unique is narrow-minded and imperialistic, a relic of the colonial age. That's a strong opinion. Now, Oprah always says it kinder and gentler. Okay, so, but here, here's what Oprah says. This is some years ago. There are millions of ways to be a human being and many paths to what you call God. There couldn't possibly be just one way. Friends, we have a revolutionary message that's controversial. And what you're going to see in this story found in Acts 3 and 4 is you're going to see two disciples declaring this controversial message. And they're doing it that the early church is born into a religiously pluralistic environment. Let me explain that. What I mean by that is that in Rome, there are many ways to approach God. You can, have, you can choose your God. In Greece, you can choose your God there. Now, Israel is monotheistic, and there is one God. But in the, in the environments around where the gospel is going to go, it's religiously pluralistic, meaning all the faiths are equally valid. And that's that same context and environment in which we live. And what you're going to see in this story is Peter and John declaring the exclusive claims of Christ that salvation is in him alone, and they're going to face some problems. And they're going to be called into court. And, um, and they're called into court because that message causes problems for the Sanhedrin of the day, the same religious leaders who had Jesus, Jesus arrested and crucified. Their problems are unique to that day, but this same message has pro creates problems for us. So here's where we're going. 
We'll look at the story. We'll talk briefly about the problems raised in their day. We'll spend some time on the problems as they're faced to us in our day. We'll talk about the problems to the problems, and we'll talk about the cues that we can take from the early church in responding to the problems. You got all that, right? All right, here we go. Story begins in Act 3, Acts 3, uh, shortly after Pentecost. Peter and John are going to church. And they go through this, this same gate. Most people have their, their own gates, just like you have your door. You come in the church that you typically come into. They're going through this gate. It's called Beautiful. And there is a man who is disabled. He's been disabled for over 40 years. He was born disabled. And, and Peter and John are walking in uh, to the temple, and he, this guy's begging. His friends likely take him there and place him by the gate. He's surviving on the generosity of his community. Now, he turns to Peter and John as they're walking by and says, he's begging, asking for money, and, and Peter uh, responds to him, and his response, for some of you who went to Sunday school as a little kid, as a little song was in your mind already, but, but, but Peter says, he grabs him by the arm and says, silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, be healed. Peter grabs his arm and pulls him up on his feet. Now, mind you, he's never been on his feet his entire life. But an incredible miracle of mercy takes place. The man is standing, and the miracle deepens. He's not just standing, now he's jumping. Now he's hopping with joy. And he's, he's ecstatic because he's been healed. And um, he doesn't fully understand the healing, but he's glomming on to Peter because Peter's the one that God used to heal him. And, and, and it's in the temple, and the crowd, they recognize this guy. This is the guy who sits by that gate that everyone walks through as they're coming into the temple. And they see him running and jumping and leaping, and, and, and they're wondering, what in the world is going on? So because a crowd is gathering, Peter sees an opportunity to talk about Jesus, and so he recycles a sermon that he preached in Acts chapter 2. He preaches, God sent his son, you killed him, you're in big trouble, Okay? But then he says, but there's a pathway to be saved. There's a way, for, there's times of refreshing for you, for you to be, re, to be reconciled to the Father. And as Peter is preaching, get this, over 2,000 people enter into the family of God. And the church continues to grow. And there's great excitement and there's great joy. And yes, there's lots of questions. And not everyone is happy. The religious leaders hear about the commotion. They come out of their offices. They get into the temple courtyard, and they take Peter and John, and they throw them in prison. Now, why would they do that? Because this is creating some problems. First of all, we're not going to have a rival religion in Jerusalem. We're not going to have some kind of sect rising up. That's going to cause some upheaval in Jerusalem and Israel. And we're not going to let society get up, up, up turn, un, un, turned over on this subject as well, because then Rome will step in and Rome will just stop all of the expressions of religion there in, in Israel because it, it causes some problems for them. And uh, so they pull Peter and John, they throw them in the prison. Acts 4, I want to begin reading uh, in verse 7 because the next day they bring him into the, into the council. And Acts 4, verse 7, it says, they brought in the two disciples and demanded, by what power or in whose name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. 
For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says, the stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Now, the religious leaders are not happy about that comment, um, and, but they can't really do anything because the, the, the healed man is there. And so they send Peter and John out of the room, and they're trying to figure out what to do with them. They bring them back in and give them the, the, these instructions. Look, stop talking about Jesus. We don't want to hear any more about this revolutionary message. Stop talking. And Peter and John have this classic response. They end up saying, hey, you know, are we to obey you over God? And, um, and then the religious leaders kind of up the ante, and they make threats, and they try and intimidate, and they threaten them probably with things like imprisonment or bodily harm. And confused and not knowing what to do, they send them out of the religious council. And in a few moments, we'll see what Peter and John's response is with their spiritual community. But here's the deal. We have this same revolutionary message. We have the same controversial uh, revolutionary message. The, the, the problems are different. But here's, I want you to see what they, what they look like today. And these aren't all the problems, but these are kind of the major ones that come with the exclusive claims of Jesus Christ. Problem number one is this. It's arrogant. How dare you say that, that, the way, that your way to God is, is the only way? That how arrogant. You can't say that. You Christians need to catch up with the times. I mean, there was a time when you could say that. But times have changed, and you need to adapt to these new times of change, and you can't go around saying that, that, that there's just one way to God. Now, that, that's the problem, but here's the problem to the problem. The problem to the problem is, wh which Jesus are we talking about? Because the, the, the message, message is, you know, that, that's great privately, but don't go public with that. You can believe in Jesus. But which Jesus? Are we talking about the Jesus who said, before Abraham was, I am? Are we talking about the Jesus who said, I must go to the Father, and I'm going to come back someday, and I'm going to rid this planet of all evil and suffering? Are we talking about the Jesus who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father except through me? Is that the Jesus we're talking about? Because that's the historical Jesus, and these are his words that he's spoken to us. In fact, if you, because of the, the incredible miracle of the resurrection, or because of your faith in Christ, because of the brilliance of his character and the supremacy of who he is, you decide to become a Christ follower, guess what? Your decision to be a Christ follower and to share this good news is not motivated because it's arrogance. It's inevitable, it's not about arrogance. It's inevitable as you consider what Jesus Christ says himself about who he is. Yet that's a problem that we face, uh, that you, you, you probably face in the workplace, in your neighborhoods, as you talk about who Jesus is. Here's the second problem. It's spiritual imperialism. Uh, this, you can you, you pick this up maybe from one of the quotes, but... Uh, a guy named uh, Frank Bolger Kelly in his book called Scoffing at Scripture, which is an interesting title of the book, says, uh, whether or not they care to admit it, and they don't, proselytizing missionaries in clerical or secular garb traffic in a kind of spiritual colonialism, or if you prefer, spiritual imperialism. The thought behind uh, uh, Kelly's book is, is simply this, that, see, we're taking this faith 
out of North America or Western Europe, and we're taking it to places, to cultures, and what's happening is that you are destroying these cultures with this proclamation of this, this Christianity, and, and you're imposing it on other cultures, and you're ruining those cultures. That's what he means by spiritual imperialism or, or colonialism. But the interesting thing that is forgotten is Christianity is not a Western European or North American faith. It's actually began the Middle East. And can I just say to you that the Christian faith is the most diverse faith in the entire planet. It, it, the Christian, the followers of Jesus Christ, there's such incredible diversity. In fact, there will come a day when that incredible diversity will fill the throne room of heaven. But if you look at where the major, major religious faiths, the population centers are, what you will see is that most of the population that centers around those religious faiths are still in those, those different geographical regions. So, for example, Islam, predominant in the Middle East. There's also in South Asia, Indonesia, that area. You find, you find Islam scattered around the world, but most of the population, most of the followers of Muhammad and his teachings as they pursue Allah, that it, it's in the Middle East. Now, Hinduism. Hindu. Most of, the pop, most of the people who are Hindus live in, live in India. Most of the Buddhists live in South Asia. Now, again, you'll, you'll find smattering of this all around the world, but the, the, the population centers are still geographically where these religions began. Confucianism is still dramatically in China. But here's the amazing thing about Christianity. Uh, this following of Jesus that began in Jerusalem, in Palestine, uh, 25% of all Christians live in Central America, South America, and the Caribbean. 22% of Christians live in Africa. 21% live in Asia. 18% of Christians live in North America. 14% live in Europe. Christianity exhibits more cultural diversity than any other major religious faith our world has seen. And Actually, what happens when the gospel goes into a culture that has not heard, if it's done right, and missionaries aren't perfect, but if it's done right, actually, culture is not eradicated. What actually, it lifts the person up in their culture and helps them understand their culture and redeems it. So, for example, when the gospel goes to Africa, in an African culture which believes highly in the spiritual realm, which believes in evil spirits and good spirits, when the gospel goes into to, to an, uh, an African country, what happens is when someone finds Christ, they have an understanding that, yes, indeed there are good and evil spirits, but there's a great spirit. His name is, is it's the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus. And now we don't have to engage in spiritualism. We don't have to do sacrifices because there is, there is a God who's more powerful than all the spirits of darkness that are in our country. And so what happens is it raises up the African in their culture, and helps them see things as they really are. It does not eradicate African culture. But here's what happens. That African comes to America and goes to university, University of Oregon or Oregon State or some major college in the U.S., and here's what you hear. We loved, we're all about diversity. We love your clothes. We love your food. But the moment that that African opens his mouth and starts talking about his spiritual realm, guess what's going to happen in a secular, uh, a secular society like ours? No, 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 see, you, you understand things. That's not how things are. See, actually, what happens is secularism ends up imposing itself on those cultures. And the exact opposite is happening. But the, the problem, the way it's stated, is it's arrogant. How could you? But look, we're just following. It's inevitable when you follow the historical Jesus and what he says. 
And this is about spiritual imperialism. It's simply about, see, we see the gospel of Jesus Christ as good news, as a gift. It's not about eradicating someone's cultures, helping them see it as it is. And the third problem, actually, let's go to this quote here from Lamansani in his book called Whose Religion is Christianity? It's a West African theologian who says, Christianity is far more inclusive than any other religion, and therefore it is the only worldwide and culturally diverse religion. Third problem. It's narrow-minded and intolerant. See, again, Christians need to get with the times. It's, it's narrow-minded and intolerant to think these ways. And, I mean, how dare you say that, that your, your, your way to God is the right way? And um, can, can I just, just be really honest? And I, I'm, I don't, I mean, do you know how offensive that sounds to a Buddhist? To be, said, to be told that your religion is the same as every other religion? Like, Buddhists don't even believe in a God. They, they have no God. Do you know how offensive that is to a Muslim? To tell them that Islam is the same as Christianity or Judaism? Do you, do you know how offensive it is to a Hindu who has a multiplicity of gods? To be said that your, your view of God is the same as Buddhism. See, see it, here's the deal with narrow-minded and, and intolerant. And what you're... People of those faiths would just say that, that you're, you are mischaracterizing my faith. You're, you're not understanding what I believe. And actually, here's what's going on. What we're saying is, see, your belief about how to be with God is, is wrong, and you need to adopt my belief, which all paths lead to God, and here's what you're trying to do. You're trying to convert me. The very thing that you're saying that I can't do. And it's hypocritical. Yet this is the problem that we face about the exclusive claims of Jesus Christ. It's a revolutionary message. Yes, it's controversial. And as that message is declared, it, 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 we understand that there's controversy, but we also understand that, that the family's growing. And we've been called to speak this message. Yet there's pushback against people who declare that there is this one way, the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. Peter and John experienced it. You and I experience it. So what do we do? You're probably not going to get called before the Sanhedrin. But there's probably going to be some pushback in whatever environment you're in. And I think we can take our cues from the early church. So let me just quickly read through a little bit more of Acts chapter 4. And, uh, and then we'll, we'll land the plane. And, and we'll be done. And you can have lunch. Okay? Acts chapter 4, verse 23. As soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priests and elders had said. Hit the pause button right there. First thing they do, they lean into community. They've got spiritual friendships, and they need those friends to come around them because they've heard some hurtful things, some intimidating things, and there's nothing better than spiritual community when you need encouragement and comfort and care. And it doesn't have to be for persecution. It could be for bad news. It can be for a rough week. It can be for some, some relational difficulties or financial stress you're under. You need spiritual friendships and spiritual community, whatever the circumstances. And so Peter and John go right to the natural place that, that we would go. It's, it's to those who would provide all that care and comfort. Now, when they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. So the, the, the whole community is going to pray. And they begin by praying, oh, sovereign Lord. Let me hit the pause button there. They're beginning their prayer, O sovereign Lord. The sovereignty of, sovereignty of God is this rich theological understanding of who God is. See, God is never sitting on the throne, wringing his hands, wondering, oh boy, what am I going to do next? I didn't think about this. 
I didn't think we were going to have some kind of opposition. No, no, no. God is never frustrated. God is never helpless. He, he's sovereign, meaning when the world is spinning out of control, you need to know that there is a God who is in complete control. He is sovereign. Now, our circumstances may feel like we're out of control, but these believers go exactly where you and I need to go, and that is to our sovereign God. And what's happening here is that they're going to have a clarified vision of who God is. O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, you spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your, your servant, saying, why were the nations so angry? Why did they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. In fact, this has happened here in this very city. For Herod Antipas, Pontius Pilate the governor, the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant whom you anointed. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. Here's what they pray. Dear sovereign God, who's never out of control, who's never frustrated, who never feels helpless, you made the heavens and the earth. You're the creator and sustainer of all things. You made. You're Lord. You spoke. You spoke beforehand through your servant David. He wrote in the Psalms that this very thing would happen. Why would the nations rage? Why are they turning against you, God? You made, you spoke, you decided beforehand. You knew that this is all part of your plan. In your sovereignty, you actually think this is a good idea for the church. You made, you spoke, you decided beforehand. You are a sovereign God. And then they go on to make their requests. And I just want to tell you, I would have completely messed up this prayer meeting. Because they begin by saying, Oh, now, O oh Lord, consider their threats and give us your servants great boldness in preaching your word. That, just that first Lord, consider their, fret, their threats. What, what they're doing is they're taking all the things that have been said against them, the, the threats, the intimidation, the, the, maybe the threats of losing property or imprisonment or bodily harm. They're just taking all those threats, sort of bagging up, boxing it up, and they're just carrying it over here, and they're putting it at the feet of Jesus, the feet of Christ. Lord, consider their threats. See, I... I would have messed up the prayer meeting because I would have gone, Lord, did you hear what they said to me? Man, next time they say that, here's what I'm going to say. I'm going to start, start fantasizing this argument I'm going to have with somebody. And when that person says this, I'm going to say that. You think that's a threat? I'm going to tell you something. And you start processing this out in my own mind of how, how I'm going to fight back. But these early believers, they just take all the threats and they just take them over and put them, okay, Lord, consider their threats and they move on in their prayer. And then they say, give us great boldness to preach your word because right now we feel threatened. Right now we feel like we should be quiet and it feels risky to talk about you, Jesus, because it creates all kinds of problems. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Now, after this prayer, the meeting place shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. Let's not rush by this because Acts 2, these are the same disciples who are filled with the Spirit. Apparently it can happen more than once. Filled with the Spirit. Now, they're not speaking in tongues this time. Now they're speaking with boldness in evangelism. So the, the place, see, this is what happens when God's Spirit shows up. There's a shaking that goes on. Last night at the 5 o'clock service, I'm preaching, I'm about, I'm about right here in the message. 
And up in the balcony on that side, a guy in his early 20s stands up and he shouts my name. He says, Steve. And this is not in the order of service, okay? I'm just telling you right now. Because it startled all of us. And he starts moving down from the top of the balcony, down the stairs. And he's coming. I have no idea what's going on. I actually thought, well, maybe there's some dramatic healing or something. And, and, and he comes down the stairs and he comes right here and he just simply says out loud, and we could all hear it, I need God. My feet are slipping. My faith is slipping. I need God. And right then and there, we pray over Cooper and, and just, just pray that God would strengthen, that his roots would go deep like a tree by streams of living water, that his leaf would never wither, that he'd bear fruit for the glory of Christ. And, um, and he, after we got done praying, he goes, man, I'm so sorry I interrupted. And we all laughed. Like, dude, you can, you can interrupt service anytime with that, okay? But see, this is what happens when the presence of God is manifested in our midst. There's a shaking, and there's a shaking here in Acts chapter 4 of people who are afraid. The shaking happens, and they leave unshaken. Okay? Consider their threats, Lord. Give us boldness. Do miracles. And again, this is where I would have messed up, messed up the prayer meeting. See, they pray for miracles of mercy. I would have prayed for miracles of vengeance. God, you heard what they said. Those are bad dudes. They killed your son. Lord, get them. Fire from heaven. Come down. Sick them, Jesus. I mean, that's probably what I would, I would have prayed something along those lines. Sometimes you hear those prayers. See, people are never the enemy. The enemy is the enemy. And they pray for miracles of mercy. That there be more crippled, disabled men. That there be blind men and women, boys and girls, who would be able to see. Because that will open the door to talk about the majesty of who our Christ is. So let me just, practical things for us. First thing, I want to talk to those of you who are seeking, who are here today. You would, you would not call yourself a Christian. You're, maybe you're listening on podcast. I just want to talk to you if you're, if you're seeking. Look, some of the things I've said today may have been hard to hear. And, and please, don't take it as, as being mad or angry. I'm just, I want to prompt us to think, okay? And so if, if you're seeking, here's, here's one of the things I'd say to us. Listen thoughtfully to cultural narratives. You are smart. You are intelligent. Listen to what is being said. You see, when this revolutionary, controversial message is spoken, and the cultural narrative of the day is all faiths are equal, and intolerance is bad, and I say that there's one way to Christ... Can I just say to you that your intolerance of my intolerance is intolerance? <laughs> and I'm not trying to be cute. I'm really not trying to be cute. I just want us to think thoughtfully about the cultural messages that are coming our way. Think thoughtfully about when you were told that there's, there is no one truth. There is no absolute truth. Let me just kick it back to you and think thoughtfully about this. Is your truth claim that there is no absolute truth absolutely true? Because you say the thinking breaks down? This does not prove that Christianity is true. All I'm trying to help you understand is think thoughtfully. Ponder the cultural messages and think them through. Because I think if you actually ponder them, you'll see they break down. If you dig deep into the different faith claims, you're going to see quite some significant differences. 
And those of us who follow Jesus believe that he indeed died on the cross for our sins. He indeed was raised again on the third day. And he is alive. And one day he is coming back. And we put our faith in him. And we trust him. Ponder that. To the church, here's what I would say. We need to pray. Okay? We need to pray for a clarified vision of God. And let me just ask you this. How big is your God? Is your God big enough for difficult circumstances? Or have you bought into this whole mantra that life goes better with Jesus? Is your God big enough for significant illnesses, financial stress? Do you throw yourself on the, on the, at the feet of a sovereign Lord or does panic and fear set in? And I'm not, please, I've been in situations where fear overwhelms me. But as I process my fears, I, I want to go back to a sovereign God. And I would say, we need to pray for a clarified vision of God. For all that's happening in our world and in our country, that's what we need to see. This is who we need to see, is God in all his supremacy and majesty. And that will calm our hearts. It won't remove all our problems, but it will remind us of who he is. Second thing I'd say we need to pray for is a fearlessness to speak about Jesus. We need to differentiate between being annoying and evangelizing, okay? It needs to be spirit-prompted. It needs to be in a way that it's, it's motivated by kindness and compassion, not about winning an argument and being right. We need to be fearless to speak about who Jesus is. We need to pray for that, that we'd have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. And lastly, we need to pray for miracles of mercy that God would open up the heavens and that he would stretch out his hands and that the, the disabled and the blind and, and those who are in suffering uh, in, incredibly, that there'd be these miracles of mercy that would take place and doors would be open to speak about our Jesus, that this is Jesus the Nazarene who has performed this healing and making his name great as we testify of who he is. We have a revolutionary message Yes, it is controversial, no doubt. We face, we face some pushback. It creates some problems. But we have a sovereign God. We, we take those problems to him, and we pray, and we ask him to give us confidence, and we ask him for miracles of mercy, and we watch the kingdom of God advance. Let's pray to that end. Would you pray with me? So, Lord... Forgive us, forgive us for panicking. Forgive us, Lord, for motives in speaking about you that have brought more harm than healing. Cleanse us of this. And yet at the same time, Lord, would you grant us a holy boldness to speak of who you are. And Holy Spirit, we ask and pray that you would saturate those words and that you would accompany those words with signs and wonders and with miracles of mercy. Lord, so that doors could be opened and that we might be able to speak of your great name. And even, Lord, even today, we, we continue to ask that that would be the case. We, we know that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Governments change, nations change, people change, you never change. So Spirit, come, take us deeper in you, and advance your work in our hearts. We pray this in your name. 
Salem Alliance Church is a community of Jesus followers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. You can view today's entire service online at livestream.com backslash Salem Alliance.